Well, hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the New News Podcast. It's myself, Andrew Sandy, and we're joined by an awesome guest today. Most of you should know him already, Trevor Rosenthal. Uh, he's pitched eight major league seasons. He's been an all-star, 132 career saves, and is the single-season single leader of saves for the Cardinals. Um, and he's just an awesome guy, awesome pitcher. This is the 10-year anniversary of the 2013 World Series team, which he was a major part of as well. And so, Trevor, thanks for hopping on, man. Um, how are you doing? Yeah, man. Thanks, guys. I'm excited to be here. Doing really well. Um, the Newt News podcast. That's <laughs> I, I love. I love the name. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of excitement uh, around the player Newt Bar and all the things oh, yeah. related to him this year. But um, yeah, like we've, we've talked about, I appreciate you guys putting out this content. I know Cardinal fans are really appreciate appreciative of getting getting to engage in any sort of way with the with the news of, of everything that's going on so i'm happy to be be a part of that and contribute in any way i can so thanks man we really appreciate you coming on we'd love to know a little bit how is your recovery going you had surgery this past season um, and what are your plans looking like for getting back into pitching in, in 2024 yeah, the recovery is going really well. I had Tommy John surgery in June of this year, uh, targeting a 12-month turnaround. So I'll be ready to return to competition in June of 2024, so about midway through the season. Uh, I'm feel, feeling really good. It's amazing what modern medicine can, medicine can do, and specifically with the uh, procedure, Tommy John, ul ulnar collateral ligament replacement, um, it's actually the second time I've had it. So mm. that is, it gives, it's actually kind of a positive because I more or less know what to expect and kind of understand the process. And uh, I know that the, the likelihood of me having a successful outcome is relatively high. Um, so just being patient, but doing really well and excited to be back in action and hopefully contribute to a team at the major league level in the upcoming season. Yeah, that's really cool. Hopefully we'll, we'll see you back on the field um, at next season. Um, really excited for that. Um, so we talk Cardinals baseball on this podcast all the time. Um, I know you were, you were part of the organization not too long ago. So um, could you give us some of your quick thoughts on, on how this, this past season went in St. Louis and like where things went wrong and how, how you think the Cardinals could, could bounce back in 2024? Yeah, that's, that's, uh, <laughs> Something I'm sure all, everybody's kind of scratching their heads and wondering, and yeah. it's inevitable. I mean, there's the ebbs and flows, and you know, in St. Louis, we mm -hmm. get accustomed to the winning culture and high expectations. And um, I know the you know the front office is is one that has always really gone after creating a a, a really good product for the fan base and a product that can go out on the field and win games and. We've seen that with a lot of the key acquisitions. I mean, just off the top of looking at uh, the Wilson Contreras recently and the Goldschmidt and uh, Arenado. I mean, some really big pieces that you would expect to have uh, a positive outcome. And talking about pitching, I mean, that's <laughs> the one thing that can can be a challenge. And pitching is always in demand. I, I've experienced that firsthand going through injuries and coming back always been surprised at how eager teams were, 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 or have been to get me back on the field. And that's because, um, you know, pitching is such an important piece of the puzzle. And I think that's mm. something that St. Louis had struggled with over the past few seasons and, um, finding out that it's not 
easy to replicate that past success or easy to yeah. reproduce that talent at that level. Um, you know, talking about the 2013 team, the 10-year reunion, that team had a ton of homegrown talent and exceptional talent guys that are still kicking around in the league today. And and that's that's somewhat uncommon. So um, the, the dynamic of developing pitching, the dynamic of uh, pitchers getting into the league and staying into the league and having success, all that has changed quite dramatically over the past five years due to uh, the analytics and um, those different different aspects, but uh, I think yeah, the, the for the Cardinals, um, they have a good strong foundation. And uh, one thing I didn't talk about is just the the transition as well, right? You got guys like a little bit of changing of guard with, with Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina and even Albert Pujols. I mean, so many key pieces that have been there for the last twenty years. <laughs> um, with it's not easy to, to take those guys out and expect things to keep running as they were. Yeah. I love that you mentioned Yachty there. So a lot of Cardinals fans thought a huge reason um, for the failure in 2023 was just not having him behind the plate for the first time in basically forever. Like most of our baseball lives as fans, you know, we'd never seen anything else. What was it like pitching to Yachty versus pitching to other catchers? I mean, we know that he's a generational great, but can you give us any insight into that? Yeah, it's yeah. He, we all know how great Yachty is, and yeah. it's it's hard to really quantify the impact that he has on mm. on a team and on the season and being on a roster. Um, but it became a little bit more apparent with his absence, and. <laughs> You know, working with him as a pitcher is really unlike anything else. I mean, I've, I've actually had a great experiences with, with other catchers at the major league level. Um, but there's just a level of – there's really just a, a difference with a Hall of Fame caliber type of player because their, their impact is not directly correlated to just the, the skills or the competitiveness that they have on the field. There's almost this aura that surrounds them and – and it's impacting every single guy, whether they know it or not. It's almost you feel this uh, this aura and this presence of like I need to elevate my game um, to keep up with what this guy is bringing to the table. And and like I said, that's so hard to quantify and to really understand until until you lose that. And it's not to say that it can't be picked up and it can't. Um, be replaced at some point, but it takes a little bit of time. And, and I think this year was a really good example of, of how his presence, his, his absence of, and his non-presence was really felt throughout the season. Mm. Yeah, that's really, really um, good to hear. Um, I think there's rumors that he's going to come back as a coach. So I'd love to see, see him calling pitches in the dugout. Um, yeah. So, one thing I, we wanted to hit on, um, you were you were an all-star um, at one point, um, and we just wanted to know about like how that experience was like. I think in 2015, the Cardinals had several all-stars. So um, uh, how, was, how was the all-star game experience like? Did you get into the game? Um, and, and what was it like being surrounded by all of those like top-tier players? Yeah, the, the all-star game, I think for any player, it's almost – a highlight um, because you're you're getting recognized with the top talent and the top players in the game and it, it's really surreal um, and to be in a locker room fortunately we did have a lot of other cardinal players so i wasn't the only one i had some guys that i knew and could 
could talk to right away. But um, just being in that locker room, being on the field and, and seeing all these other guys that you look up to across the league and you see their highlights on SportsCenter every single night. Um, and then to understand like, OK, I'm I'm on, I'm on the same playing field. Like I've, I've been recognized mm-hmm. as an equal contributor as, as these guys are. And um, I would say for me, it's definitely a highlight of my career and something that um, you know, I had, a, I had a conversation, Matt Holiday was a good friend of mine. He was an all-star that year as well. And we were talking and going into that game and he said something, he's like, you know, you, you made it, you're an all-star and that's something that no one can ever take away from you. Like that's an mm-hmm. accolade that you achieved and you, you know, you did the work and you made the sacrifices to get here. And that's something that, uh, it really means a lot. And I think every player feels that same way as, uh, you know, as inconvenient as it can be. I mean, you really look forward to the all-star break and finally having a couple of days off where you can rest. Like, Man, I got to go yeah. and travel and show up and do all yeah. these things that are associated with that, with that event. But, um, you know, it's something that I, I, I hope every player gets the chance to mm. experience at some point in their career. Yeah. Well, yeah. speaking of being surrounded by great players, 2013, it's just an iconic Cardinal team at this point. You talk about young, homegrown players. You had star veterans on that team as well. And that was, I think, your second big league season at that point, 2013 as well. So early on in your career, you're already on this incredible team. At what point in the 2013 season did you know this team could be in a World Series, had, had what it took to compete? And if it wasn't for David Ortiz going nuts, he'd probably win the World Series too. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, it was – the, the thing I remember most about that season, aside from the, the strong pitching performances and all the young talent that we had was, um, you know, there was a point maybe 50 games into the season where, you know, out in the bullpen, we have a lot of conversations. We like to, we all think of ourselves as playing the general manager at some point. We just have that, we have that bird's eye view and we have a lot of time to sit back and evaluate the d- decisions that are being made. But uh, we started to realize about 50 games in that I think we had won every single series up to that point. And, and mm. you start to have this expectation of, okay, I'm showing up today to the field. We're probably going to win. Mm. There's a good chance we're going to win today. And if, if some, for some reason we don't win, to way, win today, like we're for sure winning tomorrow. And um, that feeling is is pretty pretty crazy. It's a good feeling to have. And and I, it was right around that time when we're looking at our record, we're looking at how many games we're winning. It's like, man, we're on track to win 100 games, and you know, you win 100 games, you have a good chance of going deep into the postseason. And and at that point, uh, once we got to the postseason, we, I mean, we were right there. I think the Red Sox maybe had a little bit better record than us, but you know, one of the best records in baseball. And really, the expectation at that point becomes to to you know seal the deal and finish it off. And um, I would say that was probably one of the hardest things is. Hmm. You know, we talk about going to the World Series, playing in the World Series. That's every player's goal when the season starts out. Um, but losing the World Series is one of the worst things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it's really yeah. like, man, like we got this far. We were so close. And it just didn't happen. Um, but that, you know, that's part of it. Someone's got to win. Someone's got to lose. And uh, I think like we were talking about pitching and recent struggles. And that's something that I've seen in the game over the last five years is this is this really drastic um, transition into coaching staffs, uh, particularly on the pitching side, yeah. you know, using analytics, using these advanced tools mm-hmm. to 
you know, not just make scouting reports, but to help pitchers uh, sharpen their craft. And when I when I was coming up, uh, coming up with guys like Michael Walker, Carlos Martinez, uh, Joe Kelly, Shelby Miller, like all these really great pitchers, um, even the Lance Lins and I mean, gosh, go back Chris Carpenter and guys like Adam Wainwright, Jaime yeah. Garcia. I mean, th- these things, those were not things that we were being taught or talked about. And I would say a lot more of the the talent development was was really organic or more um, high level and and more just approach based. To where now it seems that the coaching tools, the development tools, the instruction tools. Um, are much more prominent in the teams and organizations that have a little bit better structure in place, I feel are the ones that are benefiting right now. And so um, I haven't been in the Cardinals organization, obviously, in the last five years. Um, But for me, you know, that's something definitely to be aware of. And if I was higher up in the chain of command and, uh, you know, you're, you're always looking to bring guys in. And that's something that the Cardinals have done. They have a strong core base of coaches that are passionate about the game and, and help with that development prospect development process. And those are the guys you want. And you don't want to replace those. But at the same time, we want to keep up with the trends and we want to keep up with, um, you know, all of the changes that we're seeing in other areas. Mm. Yeah, so um, you mentioned. Oh, oh, go ahead. ahead. (laughs) I was going to say, you mentioned like pitching in the World Series. Is there any extra preparation that goes into stuff like that? I mean, is it different than your preparation for the regular season? It is. It is. It is. um, It's a different. It's it's different in the aspect that you're going to you're going to be a little bit more excited. And mm-hmm. I remember uh, we had a lot of veterans on the team and guys that had played in games like that previously, especially in 2013, that team had guys on the roster that just won the world series the previous year. So they, they had kind of been there and done that. And before each series and before a lot of the games, they would sit down and call a meeting and they kept, ex- you know, they kept communicating the importance of not getting too excited. And um, the best way they said that they were commuting and how to handle those situations was to enjoy it. And that's a message that has been passed down from veterans to, you know, rookie players throughout the years. And it's really a hard one to grasp, but um, the players that are able to not make the moment too big and, and really just do the thing that they've been doing for the past 100 and, 80 game, you know, 180 days, however many days it is. I mean, you've been playing a game every day. You're, yeah. as, you're as prepared as you can possibly be physically. It's more of the mental side of not making it the situation bigger than it really is yeah. and, and trying to use that excitement and, and adrenaline to your advantage. Absolutely. We hear all the time about guys in the postseason not shaving or not washing a pair of socks. Were there any superstitions that you had during that 2013 run and then anything else on the club that was really funny? <laughs> Gosh, yeah. I mean, I'm not a particularly superstitious person. I do like to have a routine and do a lot of the same things. Uh, but there were so many fun guys on that team, um, mm-hmm. especially out in the bullpen. We were just a young group of kids that really had no idea what we were getting ourselves into. And <laughs> I think that took a lot of the pressure off to begin with. But uh, one of my favorite teammates of all time was Joe Kelly. Um mm-hmm. 
you know, since, since then he's definitely made a name for himself and the, all the antics that he brings along with the game. But uh, we had a lot of fun. We had, you know, handshake before we did every game. We had a routine that we did during the game. We would drink a cup of coffee at a certain time. We would start our, we had a stretching routine that we were all doing together and it was quite comical. Um, but those are some of the, you know, the best memories. And obviously everything is a great memory when you're winning games and having success. But yeah, um, I had, you know, looking back now, it's it's uh, no surprise to me that a lot of those guys have gone on to have great careers. And uh, and then, it, it, you know, in, in particular with Joe Kelly and all the notoriety he's had for the the, the stunts that he, he does and his personality. Uh, looking back at, at those early days, it's like that that's exactly who he is. He hasn't changed. <laughs> Yeah, so um, you pitched a lot of high leverage in the in that World Series. You recorded a save in Game Two, which was really exciting. But I, I wanted to hit on Game Three, where you were the uh, winning pitcher, because um, I was actually at Game Three um, and like watching, um, and it was crazy, crazy finish. So, what was it like to pitch um, in the ninth inning of a tie game in the World Series? And then, what was it like when when Sandy's favorite player of all time, Alan Craig, tripped around the bases, and then you walked off in such a crazy way? <laughs> Oh man. Well, okay. To start pitching the ninth inning and a, you know, that was, uh, another highlight, I think. I mean, there's not a lot of guys that get to experience that, that moment. And, um, it's really fun to look back at the video and to see, um, you know, the, my teammates in the dugout and everybody kind of looking on and to see how big of a moment that was. It, it honestly didn't feel like a big moment when I was out mm -hmm. there. It was like any other game. Uh, I was just going out and doing my job and, it was really, really cold. I remember that. So I was like, okay, I want to come in, do my job and get out of here so we can go home. I've been freezing my tail off in the bullpen all, all night long. Um, back when the games were actually much longer than they are now. But uh, yeah, then going to game three, coming in and uh, I think had a runners on. I ended up giving up a, a run to tie the game. And then the, the situation played out where uh, it was a, I can't remember. It was a ground ball, maybe, and some, something happened. Where Craig got tangled up with Middlebrooks at third base and ended up scoring. And I just remember we all he, he scored, and the play was crazy. I think the baseballs were kind of like flying everywhere. People were falling down. And umpires were making calls. We weren't sure what was going on, but we were pretty sure that he scored, and we had just won the game. So everybody's running out in the field. Uh, Craig is kind of still laying on the ground. It seemed like he might've re-injured his ankle. And uh, I remember we just was all running out on the field and we're like, like excited, kind of one confused, wondering what was going on. Um, the stadium's going crazy as St. Louis always does. Um, but that, yeah, that was being early in my career and being in those types of moments um, and those those Cardinal teams where we were so dominant and winning games, I mean, winning was just always the expectation. And I just remember be, being on the field in that situation, and, and not not just because we were confused, but always because we had such a confidence. It was like, okay, no matter what happens here, like we're we're probably gonna win this game. So I don't know, definitely a a wild moment in, in Cardinal history. Yeah, I forget too. I was watching that back the other day that Yachty got thrown out at the plate. And then the throw came back to third, and that's why Craig went home too. So, like in a span of ten seconds, you had two guys get thrown out at the plate, and then interference. That's just it has to be one of the craziest endings to a World Series game of all time. So, 
that's nuts. Um, you mentioned, a, I think, right. It was a crazy play by Pedroia, right? Yeah. It was infield in and kind of like he made a diving play, made an insane throw home. Yeah. That was, I mean, yeah, a lot of, a lot of stuff happened right there in that short couple throws. Mm-hmm. It was just an odd world series all around. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, I don't want to bring up the pickoff at first. That's just going to make me cry. So um, the, yeah. uh, but you mentioned there's a lot of young arms on that team who've gone on to have long careers in different places. And something I've always found interesting is that at different points, it was talked about stretching you out as a starter and, and seeing what the future would look like in that end. Do you have any regrets about not really having much of an opportunity at the major league level to be a starting pitcher? Or are you pretty, pretty content with being in a relief pitch role? I'm definitely, definitely content with, you know, the opportunities I had, you know, I had a lot of success and really reaped the rewards from, from all those opportunities I was given. Um, But it was something where that was a, that was something that I expressed that I had interest in and really wanted to have a shot at it. Mm. Um, Unfortunately, it was just not my decision at the end of the day. And I think, you know, the powers that be had, uh, a plan of where they wanted to put players and the roster construction that they saw best fit for the winning team. And, and so I fell into that relief role and we joked around a lot of the veteran players out in the bullpen, a lot of the veteran pitchers um, guys like Jason Mott and, and Mitchell Boggs were, were basically telling me, well, if you don't want to be in the bullpen, well, then you got to stop doing so good. <laughs> you can't come out here and, and keep dominating because they're going to keep you out here. So I guess I might be to blame in some regard. For that, but, um, but no, I wish I definitely would have would think that I, you know, I, I will say I would I wish I could have had that opportunity. It was something that I had wanted and something that I had experience in in the minor leagues. So I just assumed once I got to the major leagues, I was going to have a chance to uh, continue on that path. But um, but there's no regrets. I mean, like I said, there was a ton of really uh, tremendous opportunity that I had early in my career to be in the role that I had. And, and I benefited greatly from that. Mm. Yeah. So going back even further, uh, we just talked about you potentially being a starter, but in, in when you were in college, you played shortstop. Um, and for our listeners, uh, they know that they know that I like um, two way players and pitchers who hit. Um, so w- were there any uh, considerations of you playing shortstop or being a two way player in the minor leagues? Um, and if you if you weren't, then uh, what what happened um, or like what's the rationale for for dropping? hitting? Yeah. Well, the quick answer would be I just wasn't good enough at hitting and too good at pitching. <laughs> I basically threw the ball too hard. But no, I was uh, I went to one year of junior college at Calhoun County Community College. I came in as a third baseman um, midway through the fall season. I made a transition to shortstop. I played shortstop for our team in the spring. And I was approached at one point after uh, my, my pitching debut, my coaches – expressed that there was a lot of interest in me pitching because of my my velocity and I remember when we sat down to have that discussion they said hey what do you think about pitching more and transitioning out of the shortstop role I I told them I was like no way like I don't like pitching pitching is so boring like playing shortstop is the most fun position on the on the field Um, and that carried into my minor league days as well when I got into my low a season in Davenport Iowa we had a six-man rotation and I was calling the farm director in between my outings, basically telling him the same thing. Like, I am so bored 
having to sit here for five games and not play and only getting to play every sixth day. Can I, can I DH? Can I play first base? Can I do something in between my start days? And obviously the answer was no. Um, <laughs> but no, I think that's, that's something for me that's always been there. I, I just enjoy the game and I like being a part of every play. And as a pitcher, that's something that you miss out on. Um, you get, you have to sit there and watch. And especially being in the bullpen, it's like, man, I get to go out there and perform for five minutes on a good day. You know, like that's best case scenario. I get five minutes of, of time on the field. So it's it's a change in um, it's a change in how you have to approach the game and your contribution. But maybe maybe there is a comeback in there. Maybe we have a, a Rick Ankiel story in the making. You know? <laughs> Yeah, so I was looking at your your major league hitting stats, and it looks like uh, you got four plate appearances um, in your major league career, and you struck out uh, all four times. So, do you, uh, yeah, true. Those, those those memories, but uh, can you tell us what it was like to face in major league pitching? Well, I'll preface that those stats by saying every time that I was allowed to go to the plate, the manager, I think it was Mike Matheny, every time, yeah, every time he said, "Hey." Whatever you do, don't swing the bat. So I was given strict instructions oh, on not to swing. Oh. Uh, I think I would eventually take a hack if I got two strikes on me or whatnot. Yeah. I'm like, okay, I'm not going down without without a swing. Yeah. I remember getting into the pl- getting stepping up to the plate every single time, and thinking, oh my gosh, like the pitcher is so much closer than what it looks like when I'm pitching. Like he's on top of you, and just thinking. Like, how do guys hit? Like, this is incredibly hard. Um, but in all of those instances, it was really the one time where I'm on the field, on the major league field, and the expectation – there's no – I'm not expecting to contribute in a positive way. So I tried to take those moments in and kind of have fun with it and kind of look around and take it all in. Like, okay, I'm on a major league baseball field. This is something I dreamed about since I was a little kid. And uh, I don't have to focus like I do on the mound. So I'm just going to stand up here and, and kind of have fun and, and see what it's like and pretend I'm uh, a much better hitter than what I showed to be. <laughs> well, Andrew, next time, remember the take sign was on, okay? okay. Yeah. <laughs> what is that about? <laughs> that is absolutely awesome. We're going to shift gears just a little bit. You did a series on Twitter, or I guess X as it's called these days, that a lot of us enjoyed where you like, rated a bunch of bullpens um and like i thought it was really fun i followed that but yeah. like all jokes aside how important is it to players to be in an environment where they have state-of-the-art facilities and all their needs are met the amenities are very nice like how much does that matter to people especially when they're picking a new destination that's a good that's a man that's a tough question to answer um i think for a lot of players it's it's definitely a factor. I mean, there's when you're talking about free agency and and guys deciding destinations, I wouldn't say that's at the top of their at their list of things they're looking at. Um, but it factors in, and I think why it factors in is it it shows the support that you have from ownership groups, and when a team is trying to recruit you and bring you in and show you uh, why you should choose them or why you should come and play there. Um, you, you can see by how they're treating the players and the amenities and the different resources that are available by how invested they are and how interested they are in, in really providing the best opportunity to win. And 
Um, I think those little things, those little things like, a, you know, just what if it's the tidiness, if it's the, the, the food, the attendance, um, just the culture, I think in general, uh, I think that speaks more to potential free agents than anything. Um, but as, as players, I mean, we're, we're kind of wired to make the most of whatever the situation is, especially coming up through the minor leagues. There's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of dynamics that are not predictable and, and you get used to that and, and you know, you have a job to do and no matter what the situation is, I, I played, you know, in Oakland in 2021 and that was a team that I was so impressed with. I mean, you're talking about a stadium and a, and an ownership group that didn't seem as invested into the team and providing the best resources compared to other organizations across the league. But um, the players, you would never know. I mean, these guys were showing up every day with a positive attitude and, and really had a lot of star talent um, that has since moved into different teams um, since 2021. But um, I don't think that it is as much as professional athletes can be, uh, divas or uh, you know high maintenance however you however you want to view it those little things don't necessarily impact uh, the performance as much as you might think they're definitely nice to have and you, you know you get used to it and you, it's great to have as many resources as possible but I think it just speaks more uh, about the culture with every organization and and how invested those teams are to providing the best experience Man, that's that's so interesting because I, I think for me, like I always assumed it was such a big deal because fan experience obviously matters to me um, when I'm visiting the ballpark. And I feel that Bush has a fantastic fan experience. Um, but I really wanted to follow up with that and just ask what you think about fan culture and how much that matters. So like being at a ballpark um, like Bush, where you have 40,000 people in the seats um, for every home game versus maybe playing somewhere where there's not as much attendance. Like how much does that impact player experience as well? Hmm. Yeah, it's something that as a Cardinal player, when you come up through the Cardinal organization, you get to the major leagues, you get to St. Louis, um, you know, myself in particular playing the first half of my career every single day in, in Bush Stadium, something you start to take for granted and you think, mm. oh, this is just baseball. I mean, this is just uh, this is just fan base culture everywhere. And then you quickly see that when you either travel on the road or, you know, put, become part of different or organizations. It's not like that everywhere. And I think uh, St. Louis has such a great history with their support of the local sports team in particular with baseball. Um, and that tradition lives on today and they, they continue to, to reap the rewards of that. And uh, one really cool thing that we hear from visiting players is like St. Louis is one of their favorite places to come play. And when you ask them, why do you like to come to St. Louis to play? And they say it's because of the fans. They Visiting players love to come into a stadium where there's a lot of energy. Um, you know, it's a you can tell that the fans are having a good time and they're having a great experience just by the energy that's in the ballpark. And, mm. um, yeah, it's it's hard to really compare it to anything else. I mean, on the field, in the, in the stadium – every little detail that goes into it from from the organ to the the scoreboard you know to just the 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 engagement of the fan base i mean there's not a, not many places if any um that really are are <laughs> performing at that caliber 
Yeah, that's really awesome to hear. I know a lot of um, I, I I think Wilson Contreras said that um, he wanted to be a Cardinal as soon as um, Albert Pujols hit that home run against the Cubs last year. <laughs> that was pretty funny. Um, so wanted to shift gears a little bit and ask which hitters are the hardest for you to face? And is there a hitter that you hope to face in, in the future? Oh, yeah. Um, historically, hitters that have had a, a more uh, simple approach against me, just trying to put the ball in play, basically, uh, you know, stick their bat out and, and put it in play on the grounds of the opposite field have had more success against me. I feel that the guys who weren't able to shorten up and maybe still took their big swing, um, especially with my fastball, I found that those guys were a little bit easier for me to get it, you know, work ahead in the count against and, and put them in a position where I could eventually get an out. Um, um, I remember, gosh, especially being the NL Central, just, you know, Ryan Braun, I mean, a tremendous mm -hmm. talent. It was a tough time getting him out. Andrew McCutcheon, another one, just had a, a really professional approach. Guys that they just didn't swing at, at pitches that weren't in the zone and they made you work for their every single out. And, and those guys were tough. Um, going forward, guys that I would like to face, I, as much as I am happy when, when I'm looking, you know, for example, like if I'm warming up to come in to save in the ninth inning and I see where their lineup, where they're at in their lineup and the three hitters <laughs> that I'm going to have to face, if it's seven, eight, and nine, I'm pretty excited for that. Like, it's <laughs> like, okay, at least I'm not getting the heart of the lineup, but there is an aspect just like the aura that throwing to Yadier Molina has. Uh, when a guy like Miguel Cabrera or whoever's, you know, the two, three, four superstars in the lineup for that year, that season, there, it does elevate your game a little bit. It's it's that that competition that's ingrained in all of us. When you're facing the best, it kind of you, you know you're going to have to be at your best as well. So um, I, I definitely enjoy that. I know there's a lot of great players today. Um, Acuna, man, I, that a lot of those that, that Braves lineup. There's a lot of guys where. When you're coming to Atlanta right now, you, you better be ready to have your A game because um, they're going to make you pay if you don't. Yeah, basically you could face six, seven, eight from Atlanta's lineup, and it's basically the middle of an order of any other team right now. So yikes if you pitch against Atlanta next year. Um, do you have any favorite teammates from over the years? I know that's a hard question because you yeah. want to a lot of people. but Oh, man, I have a, a lot of favorite teammates um it's really cool to see all the different personalities and i'll say even when you go from one team like the first time i went from the st louis cardinals i next the next season i was playing with the washington nationals and i was a little bit nervous so, you know coming into a new clubhouse there's guys that have been there it's like first day at a new school um you can say but i've, I've been really surprised like across the board baseball guys are always great people um, there's a little bit of a fraternity where, you know, if once you're in, you're in and you get treated really well. And it, it's a really strong camaraderie and bond that guys develop. Um, but there, there's definitely some guys that stick out. I'm, one of my favorites of all time being in St. Louis, uh, was Lance Berkman. I don't, I'm not sure mm. why. I don't know if it, I, I, I have an idea. I think it was just his, for whatever reason, I thought, no matter what he said, every sentence that he said, I, I thought it was hilarious. I thought he was the funniest guy that I've ever played with for some reason. I don't know what it was, if it was he's actually funny or if it's just the way he talks or his personality. Uh, but I love playing with Lance. It was like every day when I show up, I can't wait to just sit around and just 
you know, listen to Lance Berkman talk about whatever he was talking about. It just, it just was really enjoyable. Um, but I had great, great mentors. I was lucky to play with and become really become close friends with guys like Adam Wainwright and Matt Holiday. Um, even Chris Carpenter. I mean, some really, uh, you know, in my mind, nostalgic pieces and, and the development that I had in my career, uh, both professionally and personally, you know, guys that I still look up to, to this day. Mm. Yeah. So you mentioned, uh, spending part of the 2019 season in, in Washington and that team ended up uh, winning the world series. So did you, did you get a ring from that? Um, and do you still have it? Yeah, I did. I did get a ring. I still have it. It's, it's pretty cool. It's, one of those like bittersweet things because um, I wasn't actually a contributor in the postseason for that team. I was with them for half of the, the regular season. Um, but I, that was a team, again, playing bullpen general manager, bullpen GM during the games where we were sitting out there about that 50 game in mark getting into the late, late May, early June, um, where I was telling the guys around me like, hey, like I spent time in St. Louis. We had World Series teams. We had Hunter win teams. And this team is way better than any of those teams. Mm -hmm. We had it all. We could go out. We could score 10 runs every night. Our starting pitching was giving us seven, eight innings every single night. And and we were just we were just doing things that aren't normal. You know, scoring 10 runs at the major league level is not not a normal thing to do. And starters continually going deep into games uh wasn't a normal thing. And uh, so I wasn't surprised. We, we were struggling halfway through the season and ended up winning the World Series, obviously. But that was not a surprise to me. I mean, that was a very one of the most talented teams um, that I've ever been a part of. Wow. Yeah. I When you started mentioning Washington, I was like, how did I forget he was on the 20, 2019 Nationals with that, too? So that's that's a that's a cool experience to be part of that. Um, <clears throat> something you you touched on a little bit earlier about pitching development, how things have changed over the years. This is kind of like a two parter with that. But um, what it, what are some of the ways you could describe how analytics actually impact development of pitching? Because I think fans just hear like you're throwing stats out there and don't really understand how that correlates to how it impacts how you're pitching on the mound. And then second, like, is that something that would draw you to an organization? Is there use of analytics or potentially make you choose a different organization? Like, is there, I, I know you've been a part of a couple at this point, but like, what is your relationship to analytics in the game today? And is that something you look for in a potential team this coming year? Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the simplest way to really, to describe like the impact that these analytical tools and processes have had is, um, you know, 10 years ago when a player was coming up to the major leagues, you were more or less having to kind of figure out everything on your own. And, and that's still true. Like every player is responsible. Every player should be their best coach. There shouldn't be a coach that's more concerned about the success in your career than the player. The player has to process all the information that comes in and put it into play. Um, but now with all of this new information and the ability to take take um, these, you know, pitching mechanics or whatever it may be, the spin, you know, the spin on the ball and how you're executing certain pitches. And it's basically able to break it down one more level and give the play player another piece of information. And there's teams that can do that a little bit better. There's teams that are able to communicate that information a little bit better. And there's teams that are able to help players implement that information a little bit better. Um, and I wouldn't say that it would, 
factor into my decision to go somewhere as heavily because I know at the end of the, the day, I, I need to be the one seeking out that information and applying it myself. Um, but I do think that we've seen organizations that have really good strategies for implementing these techniques and in, in this information. And um, a few stand out, I think, you know, the Dodgers um, being one of them, uh, Houston to some extent being one of them, uh, Brent Strom, which he's been a part of both Houston and Arizona now and two organizations that have had great success. Um, so I think, you know, there's definitely an impact that it's having in the game. And, and, um, I, and I've seen it firsthand with organizations trying to figure it out. I've been in organizations where they're bringing people in, they're bringing in all these new tools, these analytical tools, and it's messy at times. You're, you, you know, the players, we sit in these meetings and we hear – uh, conversations around the all the all of this information, all these analytical. I'm trying to think of another word for it, but all all of all of these intricate, detailed, statistical information and players that you know. We walk out of these meetings looking at each other, thinking, "I'm just going to keep doing what I was doing." Like this, I, I this doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But I think if you have, and I've seen it in the opposite. I've seen guys who have really good instructors that can break down the information in a way that they are able to receive it and then apply it and their career takes off and they end up having a, a lot of success because of it. The simplest way to really like to describe it is, is, you know, you're going from being on the mound and relying 100% on your experience, what's worked for you in the past and what you can keep doing to recreate that success to now today, you just have another layer of tools of understanding why you were having that success and having a better understanding of how to recreate, recreate it. So I, that's, that's really um, the simplest way I could break it down. That's such an interesting perspective on that to see them as complementary instead of, you know, uh, competing, you know, the, the analytical approach and the old approach. Um, just one more question here this is a little different, but what does watching baseball look like for you uh, as a veteran of the game? And if you don't watch baseball, because I know a lot of players, um, you know, aren't interested in watching because it's, you know, their life, their job. Is there, are there any other sports you watch or anything like that? Yeah, I enjoy I enjoy watching sports. Um, I enjoy watching all different types of competition and uh, the major sports, you know, football, basketball, baseball. Hockey are all ones that I that I like to watch, and I do enjoy watching baseball. And um, I think something that I take for granted at times, or it's hard for me to recognize until I'm with a group of friends that are just casual fans, is the deeper layers of expertise that I do have in the game, and the different viewpoint that I, you know, the different perspective that I that I bring. And I find a lot of my friends when we're when we're watching games, it's they they feel that I'm almost a a personal commentator to what's going on and able to describe things at a little deeper level. So, um, you know, I, I definitely think, you know, for players, when you're doing it every single day, you can, it can get mundane, it can get boring. Um, but there is, you know, you have to understand that we're getting to play a game and it is fun. And when you can shift your perspective a little bit from the mundane and how hard it is, I mean, playing the major leagues is, is def is highly rewarding, but it, it's a hard career you're you know there's high expectations there's a lot of pressure and and that can wear on guys but um no i enjoy playing it and and if i'm not playing on the field you know i, I hope to continue to be involved in the game and in some regard or another 
um, for throughout the course of my life. Yeah. So um, we wanted to lastly ask you if you had any like plans for your post playing career, because I know um, Wayno is going to like start doing some broadcasting soon. So like any any plans beyond that or, or are we just focused on um, focused on the uh, playing in the future? Yeah, it's so hard to plan. I think, um, you know, my approach when I got when I was when I got into professional baseball and I signed that first contract, I basically made the decision. I'm, I'm all in. I'm going to go at this. I'm going to focus on this and this only and make the most of it until those days are over. And um, luckily, still today, I'm, I'm still very much involved in it. But I am starting to see the light at the, the end of the tunnel. And um, I wouldn't say I'm necessarily planning, but I am more aware of different opportunities that I might have interest interest in and um, broadcasting definitely being one of them. Like we talked about, I mean, I'm passionate about the game. I enjoy being a part of it and communicating my experiences um, to fan bases and, and, and also interacting with players that's in some regard. Um, but I also am passionate about investing into players. I had a ton of really strong, high character uh, veteran players that invested into me as a young player and passed along a, a lot of valuable information that helped me have success throughout my career. Um, so I hope to find a way to continue to do that, whether I'm in the clubhouse or not in the clubhouse, to just to continue to give back to the game in some capacity. Um, but I think, you know, at the end of the day, just continuing to show up and do the best I can. And, and there's a lot of great opportunities um, that are going to be available. And, and that's something that I've seen with a lot of, of former players that I now have seen have other careers outside of baseball. Um, those skills that you develop in the game of, of leadership and communication and dedication and hard work, those translate really well to a lot of different areas of life. And, and that's something that um, I'll continue to rely, rely on heavily. Yeah, we're seeing a lot that of- all in mindset, just- oh, there you go. <laughs> Yeah, no, we're seeing a lot of former Cardinals come back. Lance Lynn just just came back um, to play, and Descalso, um, he's going to be the bench coach next year. So, um, any any plans to come back to St. Louis? That would be great. I did see that, and uh, I'm excited to see how this all plays out. I did um, when I saw that news. I, I I'm I'm good friends with Oliver Marmel, just as a friend, and aside from being on the field. But I, I sent him his message. I said, "Hey, let's get the gang back together. Let's do this." So. You never know. I mean, I still have a lot of time left in my uh, rehab schedule, um, but pitching is always in need. And if I'm ready to go, I'd be more more than happy to uh, come spend some time in St. Louis. Yeah, we'd love to have you back. I'd love to see you back. That would be uniform. unbelievable. Yeah, we'd love nothing. It more. would be. Well, thank you it so much be. for joining us. I can't imagine. Like, I know it's going to be very meaningful for Lance Lynn and Descalzo. I can't imagine. You know, the Cardinals. The Cardinal uniform and the organization were, were such a big part of their uh, part of their lives. And now coming back, I bet, you know, they're, they're going to really enjoy that. So it's, I think it's going to be fun for all of us to watch this year. Hopefully, hopefully it gives us something a little bit more fun than the 2023 season for sure. <laughs> uh, but thank you so much for joining us today. It was such a pleasure to have you. A bit of an unorthodox episode, fought through some connectivity issues and everything. Um, but yeah, it was just super great to have Trevor on here. We hope to connect with you again in the future. Um, again, go check out Trevor Rosenthal on Twitter. He's got an awesome feed um, full of great stuff. He provides good content. And then also 
we are so excited to watch your playing career continue. Uh, we know wherever you land, it's going to be awesome. Um, so yeah, just thank you so much for joining us again. We hope to have you on again sometime in the future. Yeah, no, you guys are doing a great job. I, I appreciate you taking the time to reach out to me and uh, we'll do it again sometime. We'll keep in touch, but all the best to you guys. And I'm always uh, available to link up whenever, whenever you guys have interest.